everyone, and welcome to episode 175 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined today by Paul Noonan and a very, very uh, irritable Ryan Top right now as we record this, what, 20 minutes after the Badgers-Michigan game ended? So uh, Ryan's not doing so hot right now. Like he wasn't even particularly, I didn't notice him being particularly bad in this game. Like the Boborowski effect being particularly bad and noticeable, but just like every game that we have with him, you look at the fall differential and you go, that's like really slanted the other way. And like every other game, the Badgers don't have that happen. So why, why does this always happen with him? Oh, it was a roughing game. Was it? I mean, it wasn't even like that. Not really. It was the Badgers going like three for 20 in the second half game. And a tradition Ryan's unlike any other, honestly. Ryan's conveniently finding like two calls to. Not really. I, I don't <laughs> think that nothing really particularly stood out to me in, in that. It just like yeah. I look at the foul differential. and I go, how is it that this team that excels at <laughs> limiting the fouls they give up and, you know, drawing fouls the other way, like whenever they have Boborowski, like all of a sudden, no, that just doesn't happen at all. <laughs> And then we get to the Liverpool question later. So that's going to be great. Yeah. So there's there's also a Patreon question that's uh, intentionally provoking Ryan. So uh, he had to go get a beer to mellow out. And we all have backup <laughs> beers. So if you hear a beer crack in the middle of this, that's how you know. Like Paul said before we started, that's, how, that's a sign of a great podcast, right? When you hear a beer crack. And I think the explicit label is probably going to slip on this one because Ryan's going to get a little worked up. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> Well, just get that out of the way early, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe this first topic will do it. So last week, we spent a good amount of time talking about the Brewers signing Colton Wong, and Justin Turner was still an open question, I guess, out there. Just yesterday, as we record this, so Saturday night, he announces himself. He's returning the Dodgers. Looks like it's a two-year deal for $34 million, which is a little pricey for me. Uh, $14 million option for a third year and an $8 million signing bonus. Consider that he will be 36 this year, so that's uh, a lot of money paying somebody in their late 30s. Uh, for what it's worth, John Heyman says the Brewers offered, quote, about the same, uh, about $34 million over two years. They also had a three-year offer at a lower AAV, so really not about the same. For all the talk that they had a quote-unquote competitive offer out there, I guess maybe that falls in line, but also not so competitive that he didn't decide to stay with the Dodgers. So I don't think anybody's really too surprised about this, but I guess we'll start there because it was talked about for a while and some people maybe have gotten their hopes up about adding him to the lineup. So I guess, Ryan, let's start with you. You're in a great mood. Uh, Did the Brewers miss out (laughs) on Justin or did Dodge a mistake, so to speak? I mean, I don't think it was going to be a huge mistake to have signed him, even if you're talking about a three-year deal. Yeah, that back end last year is probably going to look pretty pretty sketchy, but given their payroll shape overall and the fact that things should be, God, I hope fairly normal by that point, like <laughs> that it shouldn't be like a huge crippling problem to have it. It is worth noting here that what the Dodgers are doing is they're front-loading the hell out of this thing because... And this is what they did with Trevor Bauer, too, was they know that they're going to go way the hell over the luxury tax for this year and next year. And then they're going to reset it in 2023. That is the plan. That is what they're doing. You can just expect that third year is never going to be picked up. Yeah. So just like just like the Bauer thing, like that, that third year might as well not even be there. It's silly. It's basically just insurance in Bauer's case in case he wants 
like he falls apart or something where he can keep it. But I don't think it was going to cripple the Brewers on the back end of it, but it does hurt them for this year. I think he would have made them a better team. They would have yeah. definitely been better. So I would rather have seen them do it. But this is a hefty price to have paid for a guy who is, yeah, this is his age 36 season. So I'm not like super angry about it. And I certainly don't begrudge Justin Turner for wanting to stay with the world champions and stay in LA. Like, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> it seems like a great deal. So, right. Yeah. It's not like you can outbid the Dodgers. If the Dodgers want a guy, they're going to get him. I mean, reality is reality. I think the big thing with not getting Turner is that he was kind of the last best third base option out there. And now that he's gone, every other existing solution right. is, is pretty drastically inferior, be it internal or external. So, it, you know, it's, it's your last chance to add a, a, a couple of wins to the team kind of drying up. Now they could still go. There's first baseman. They could maybe make up some of that difference. It's not like the offseason's over because he's gone. It's not. But uh, it, it was, a, I think, a real seeming opportunity. They were purportedly in on it. And it's always a little disappointing when you lose those. Although, you know, like I said, when, if it's the Dodgers you're bidding against and they, they have the, the drive, they're going to get it done. Yeah, you, you feel worse if there was like a sense that they actually had a chance at him, right? I think all of us kind of felt all along like well, he's going to return yep. to the Dodgers. So eh, whatever. So I don't think anybody really got their hopes up too much about it, right? people were reporting that he was using the Brewers to drive up the price with the yep. Dodgers. Like we right. had all the indication in the world here that they were, it wasn't serious. We were, we were being used to make uh, the Dodgers jealous and it worked. And now they're, now they're back together. It's a Valentine's day story. Um, it's a happy like ending. Either. Yeah. Did you guys enjoy uh, Walker Bueller's trolling? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. But Ryan, do you want to fill in in case anybody didn't see this? Because he deleted it. Delete the tweet. He deleted the tweet. Yeah. He deleted the tweet. But yes, he said it was something to the effect of, oh, like you really thought he was going to sign with the Brewers or something like very condescending. I believe it was like we're worried about the Brewers or something like that. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So we can we can take that out of context in eight months hopefully when we're playing the Dodgers in the playoffs and yeah we can take that out of context and once once the Brewers beat the Dodgers in the NLDS or something right yeah it could be Bushville part two I just there hope that Walker has has a good time with his new pitching teammates and all of the interactions <laughs> that go along with it I'm sure that there won't be any any attempts to teach him or, or criticize him that, that probably won't happen at all so enjoy, enjoy Trevor um, yeah, the, the yeah. revenge, the revenge has already been served in the form of the most annoying person in the world. Yeah, but <laughs> given what we know about Justin Turner and his behavior, he probably is going to get along just fine with Trevor Bauer. Oh, he'll be fine. Walker Bueller. I don't know about, uh, anything about that. So. Yeah. Oh, is he named for the Texas Ranger? Maybe he is, in which case they'll probably get along fine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> tweets from players, did you guys see the uh, Jack Flaherty tweet? Mm -hmm. I saw the reactions to it, but I never actually saw what the tweet was. I did, yeah. Jack Flaherty won his arbitration case with the Cardinals, uh, got 900000 more than what the Cardinals were offering, and then tweeted out a picture of Michael Jordan saying, and I took that personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a couple other gifts and stuff like that, too. And yeah, yeah, the best fans in baseball did not take too kindly to that. As they as they are wanted to not do. Yeah. And it's really dumb, too, because it was over. It's less less than a million dollars. Yeah. 
So, but you know how personal those things get, and well, and the people that are doing it, you should see their profiles. That's the best part of it. Is basically every single one is a numbskull. There's only one type of person who gets highlighted by Best Fan St. Louis, and you know they're pretty much all the same. You can there, there's a template. It's, it's just Mad Libs. It's uh, Christian <laughs> father. Let's see, student of the game, do things the right way, stuff like that. American flag um, yeah. in the profile. Mm-hmm. All yeah. of those things, yes. Yes. So, I mean, looking at third base, if you if you squint really hard. <laughs> <laughs> you squint oh, really hard. Always a good sign when you start with that. When Justin Turner put up a 135 <laughs> OPS plus last year, Jed Jerko put up a 121 OPS plus last year. Like, oh, my God. I mean, and Jed Jerko uh, is four years younger. Yes. yes. He also is the slowest human on the planet. They tend not to age great or play third base great. Yeah, though his third base overall, his play at third base, I don't think it was terrible. Like value wise, I don't think it comes out <laughs> terribly. But I think that you can get Jed Jerko can give you a lot of what Justin Turner was going to give you, just not quite as good. So I, I think that's probably the direction they go, don't you? Probably yes. I mean, he's out there. He's known to be out there. They know what they're. You don't know what you're getting though, because he was part of the. The is your spaghetti done crap fest they threw against the wall, and just because you're the one that happened to stick that year doesn't mean you're going to the next year. You could turn right. into Jesus Aguiar in a second. So, right. um, but yes, it is probably what they'll do because okay. what's out there. <laughs> Again, I mean, if you look at Jerko's history, 2016, he had a 111 OPS plus, 2017, 112 OPS plus, 2018, 108 OPS plus. He was an above average, solidly above average hitter yeah. for three straight years and then had a bad year in 2019, which is why the Brewers were able to get him on such a low throat spaghetti at a wall contract. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I liked, I guess, Jed Jerko more than the rest of the signings last year. But at the same time, he's Jed freaking Jerko and not Justin Turner, <laughs> right? And you guys are, are kind of jumping ahead a little bit. We did actually get a Patreon question about what the Brewers do now at third base without Justin Turner on the market anymore. Uh, so our first co- question comes from Philip Schumacher. He's asking, who's the most likely starter at third base on opening day? <laughs> Luis Urias, a re-signed Jed Jerko, anyone currently on the Brewers or someone not currently on the Brewers? So I guess are both of you locking in with Jerko, re-signing Jerko and bringing him uh, back at this point, or I, is Urias or? If I had to bet, I'd bet it's Jerko. I don't think I don't think they actually go into the season with Louis Urias at third. Like that's that's like getting into uni Alex at first base territory to some extent, <laughs> and we don't want to. We're not doing that. <laughs> no, I, I refuse to believe that's the idea. So. Well, given that Jerko isn't actually on the roster yet, though, I would say Urias is more likely than him. If sure. Jerko does get signed, <laughs> then he instantly moves ahead of him. But I do think that we're going to see Urias at third base quite a bit because I think defensively there's going to be an advantage to be had there. And we'll see. The The offense could very well break out. I don't know that we're going to see huge power from him, but he is a good contact hitter. There's a reason that he was considered a pretty good prospect not that long ago. And he's still, what is he, 22? He's not that old, so... Yeah, and I think Arias is being projected as probably one of the better bats on the Brewers right now. But we'll get to that when we talk about Pakoda in a few minutes here. But I, I do think to answer uh, the question, 
it is probably somebody not on the roster it's, right yeah. now, whether that's Jed Jericho or somebody else, right? Oh, so you would take somebody not on the roster over or hmm. I mean, somebody not on the roster versus Urias and Robertson, because I could see him winning the job in camp. I mean, I'm not saying that it's like super likely, but I could see that. I mean, that. he's one of the guys you have to consider for it, for sure. It, it, it's possible. I mean, they think he he is that, that signing of this year. That's what Daniel Robertson is. He, he's part of the spaghetti bunch this year. It's just smaller so far, but I'll <laughs> right. still go. I'll still go off roster for my prediction. And and I still think it's likely to be Jericho because he is still. Still out there. Well, I'll go on roster then so that we can have our uh, All right. our first take moment. Cool. <laughs> Embrace debate. <laughs> Embrace debate. You're going Urias? Well, no, I'm saying on roster. On roster. So on Robertson roster. or Urias or other. Okay. I just have a hard time believing that they're cool bringing that group into camp. Like, I agree with Paul that it's going to be a spaghetti on the wall situation. Robertson and Urias are, are there, but, you know add a dash of Jed Jerko on the wall and, and see if any of those stick or, or somebody else. I, I just don't think they're super confident in what they have right now. They'll nope. probably sign. I mean, there's a plethora of dudes who will sign a minor league deal with an invite to spring training in the next week as players start reporting. So whether that's Jerko or somebody, I, I, yeah. I do think it'll be somebody off the roster that ends up being the opening day third baseman. Well, while we're talking about Justin Turner, it looks like maybe the Brewers didn't really need him to compete for a playoff spot, at least if you uh, ask the projection systems, right? So I know Fangraphs had the Brewers near the top of the division. I think did did Arenado inch them ahead in the in the Fangraph inch the Cardinals ahead in the in the Fangraphs? Fangraphs has the Cardinals just fractions of a win ahead of the Brewers. Yeah, yeah, uh, basically more or less tied there. Pakota though. Uh, Really likes the Brewers, comparatively speaking. (laughs) They actually give them a 55% chance at winning the NL Central, which I think is probably the most (laughs) eye-popping number, even before you get to the the wins in the standings, right? So, I I mean, like, more than 50% chance with this current group. I I would take that, but that seems super optimistic to me. Seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, really, they love the pitching. That's what it comes down to, is they love the Brewers pitching. They love the pitching and they love the potential bounce back from a variety of players. Like, um, you know, Christian Yelich rebounding from last year is something that a projection system is going to going to look at and see happening. You know, uh, I have my my half cock theory about him um, being nervous <laughs> against opposite side pitching because it doesn't care about that. It just sees a guy who was an MVP who got hurt and struggled for a year and likely will be back. And that is entirely possible because Pakota is smarter than I am. But uh, there, I mean, Hira had a br- brutal season. Good chance he bounces back. And there's probably some other stuff in the background that uh, works in the Brewers' favor too. Um, I do think it's it's more. They are still the best team at avoiding the third time through the outcome. Uh, the th- th- third time through the order. I mixed up my TTOs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the third time through the order, and a lot of teams sort of fell ass backwards into managing their pitching pitching staffs better uh, in the the shortened compressed COVID season when they didn't want to break arms. And I suspect a lot of teams will go back to more old timey ways, at least you know not as extreme as they they did last year and. The Brewers will benefit from that, you know, by by going to their strong bullpen more and not leaving their starters out there more and hammering third time through the order guys that are out there. So um, there's I, I can see the reason for it. It does make some sense. It's just it it seems a little weird because it's much more optimistic than conventional wisdom than what we all thought. Right. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think, right to be a little bit skeptical. Also, aren't we used to get the others? I mean, actually, Picota usually likes the Brewers pretty well, but I also I feel like, I feel like usually stuff hates your team. Uh, and it, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, my team's better than that. It's a little different when it's, when it likes your team and you're kind of like, really? I don't, <laughs> I, like I <laughs> right. should be more on board with this than I am. <laughs> right. And I think part of this too is just like the margin that they favor the Brewers. Yeah, it's a so, lot. It's not a little. Throw, yeah, to throw the to throw the numbers out there. So, granted, they still don't project anybody in that Central winning ninety games. So, you know, that's a signal that the division's crap. But uh, they they're as of now projecting the Brewers for eighty eight point eight wins in their simulations. So, effectively, like eighty eight eighty nine wins, which is way optimistic for me and I'm, you know, ever the optimist, but the next best team were the Cubs at 85.1 wins. So that's a three, almost four game difference between first and second place, which is not insignificant when you look at these, right? So that's a big difference, especially when you're getting that close to the middle of the curve. That's a big, big difference. Even with Arenado, they have the Cardinals at 80.6. I think so. the biggest, the biggest thing here is that the Cardinals, projection is i think very different than a lot of the other projection systems too and they yeah. just they just hate the cardinals <laughs> well i mean if you look at fan graphs the cardinals 81.5 wins is what they're projecting oh, okay but they're also projecting the brewers at 81.4 so and the cubs at 79.1 right. yeah so it's i think the cardinals are overrated but the cardinals also are a team that i believe has outperformed their pakoda beginning of year projections eight straight years so that's yeah, interesting. they're good at this. If you're, if you're looking for a reason they might not this year, Baseball Prospectus also simultaneously released new park adjustment, new park factors with much more going into it with a different method for averaging such things and broken down. You can, by the way, if you read John's article, it's very in-depth. Um, you can email them to get a copy of the, the very granular um, park factors as they exist, including like how good people are hitting singles and doubles with splits in parks, um, which I did, and it's hard to parse. But uh, St. Louis is like the worst hitters park in baseball. Um, or it, it is among them. It depends on which year you look at. But you, you think really? of the bad, or, uh, you think of the bad hitters parks as being like Kansas City, uh, a lot of the big West Coast parks. Mm-hmm. But the Bush Stadium is secretly terrible, and I do kind of wonder if that plays into it a little bit because. Go, taking a guy from Coors, which is the best or second best, Boston is very high too, into like the worst hitting environment um, with his road splits and stuff, I could see him not being that valuable in St. Louis. That's a thing that might be true. So, you know, they've changed Dakota so much over time. It, it used to be very basic. It, Prospectus especially is now sort of the really built on um, situation neutral projections of people. That's kind of the whole point of DRC and DRA to tell what people would do in a vacuum and then be able to adjust it to changing situations. So I feel like they're maybe better positioned to capture or or discount guys changing teams more than the other systems are. I think you you kind of see a lot of that here. Colton Wong is a great fit for Milwaukee. He fits in that stadium perfectly. He is a huge upgrade over a bad second baseman. Nolan Arenado is not a great fit there. He just yeah, he's a good defensive player, but that bat's not going to play well there in all likelihood. I mean, even if things average out and you know the, the Colorado effect disappears, it's just not a good place for him. So I kind of see how these things might play out like that, but still very optimistic. Still trying to talk myself into it. Yeah, I'm wondering <laughs> about him being 
Prince Fielder in 2010. I don't know if you remember the Prince Fielder 2010 season where he got off to a slow start. And then by the end of it, he managed to kind of dig himself out and he took a lot of walks and it, it generally worked out fairly well for him uh, by the end of it. But he was spending all of that season digging out. And hopefully if Arenado gets off to a bad start, you could start to see some pressure build on him and some some bad, basically yeah. narrative stuff happen. That would be very nice. We should also yeah. mention some of the stuff in Pakoda that's a little wonky. That's a little weird. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, you... we'll get there, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Cardinals point is an interesting one from Paul. Like, I, you know the Cardinals typically have this reputation as being small ball, right? And and the Brewers never seem to hit well there or feels like home runs barely clear the fence kind of thing. But I didn't realize that it's rating out as literally the worst when you have like San Francisco and Seattle out there, that's that's crazy. So here's the but... thing about it, and it, w- with the big spreadsheet, it's actually a little hard to parse because um, they actually give you the park factors and splits going back to 2015. I think that their actual park factor is like a three-year weighted average of all of that. But the, the thing is, it moves around a lot. And a lot of the... Okay. So it's hard to say definitively because a lot of their methodology is in that weighting to try and eliminate the effects of who's playing there. Um but who's playing there still matters on a year-to-year basis pretty drastically. So here's what I can sell you. When you look at when you organize the spreadsheet, I, I looked at it for righties and lefties and just for general as well. Um, of the seasons it gives you for individual park factors, it's near the bottom. Like all five of the sample sets they give you are all near the bottom, along with all the other ones that you think of, like the Royals and Detroit, um, as being terrible hitters park. So it, whether it is definitively the worst or not, it's, it's among like the five worst for sure crazy yeah i guess before we move to the individual projections i guess ryan <laughs> i didn't get a chance to ask you but 88 89 wins for the brewers are you buying that projection or does that seem a little bit rosy for you too i mean it's a touch rosy but i've thought that they were a touch rosy for a while now on the projections so i would probably say it's more like 85 or 86 yeah that's about where i fall to Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. I think that they are going to be exceptionally defensively, especially up the middle. Now that you've added Mm -hmm. the best second baseman in baseball and have moved like one of the worst second basemans in baseball off of the position (laughs) and you still are pretty good at shortstop. I think overall, like Arcia isn't remarkable, but I think he is solidly average to a bit above average defensively. And then Lorenzo Cain and the catching situation, both of those guys that's mm-hmm. all good. So, and then I think in the corners, you still have some things to potentially, you know, Avi is a good right fielder. Christian Yelich, I think yep. they have a very good outfield in general with Yelich in left yep. field. And we'll see what first base looks like with Hira over there. We we just, we don't know. But third base potentially could be really good if Urias is the everyday third baseman. And if not, then he's still going to get time. So, Yeah, I think they're going to be a very good defensive club. Like I said, the pitching is good. It's weird because we're not used to this from the Brewers to be built around. (laughs) Right, exactly. That's also weird. This is not my Brewers. What what has happened to the Brewers? This is not normal. I mean, like in the entire history of the franchise, this is basically not how they've won. Right. So it's weird, except I guess maybe 92. 92, they were kind of a pitching defense team. But like for the most part, they have been a slugging team. And this yep, is right. not that. So it's weird. Nope. Very strange. 
bizarre. I, I'm with Paul too. It just feels weird to see a projection system like really like your team, especially because I guess the last couple of years I got used to them, you know, maybe underselling the Brewers because they rely so much on those one run wins and that kind of stuff. That's just kind of fluky. Right. And I think, at least my perception is generally projection systems tend to ding teams that rely on their bullpen as much as the Brewers do. But I guess to Ryan's point, you know, up and down the roster, there's a lot to like here. So I guess with that, uh, Paul, looking at the individual slash lines or projections, I guess, what stood out to you? What's most exciting? Well, uh, so there are some weird ones, and some of them I think are reasons to make you extra skeptical of the Brewers being um, being good by Pakoda. Uh, one of the big ones that just sticks out like a sore thumb right away is Dan Vogelbach is projected to be real good, which is... He is real good. He, so he's projected for two war for 1.9. <laughs> and two war is not like super great, but Dan Vogelbach has always been kind of a replacement level guy um, whose right. bat has not even come close to carrying his defensive deficiencies. Um, and they've got him projected at first base. And... He, that seems uh, for, with a 360 on base percentage um, and 439 slugging, that slugging seems totally realistic. But if he's getting on base at a 36% clip, we'll take that all day. It, it just seems like a very aggressive projection to have him be the fourth best offensive player on the team, or I guess overall player on the team that does count defense. Um, well, even better in terms of just offense, though, third best mm-hmm. offensive player on the team. <laughs> third best offensive player on the team behind Yelich and Wong. So. I mean, really, he's probably better than. They have him ahead of Wong by on DRC plus. They have yeah. him at one eighteen and Wong at one oh six. So they have him as the second best offensive player on the team. And right now, unless there's Hell DH, yeah. is he even in the lineup? Like we I know. Right. I, don't know. I mean, we talked about that last week. Like yeah. you know, three out of five days he may not be in the lineup. So Yeah, so that's a little bit weird. That's really the only one that really sticks out. I mean, on the other side of that, Yelich is projected for three point nine and all projection systems for all time do not make good projections at the margins. And we're looking at the 50%, by the way. This is the 50%, the, the, the median war projection. Baseball sure. Perspectives very helpfully gives you like the, the rounded out like 90% projection and 75%, all that stuff. Um, so 3.9 for 50% for Yelich is low, but you know, it's very easy to see him actually bouncing back and putting up like a six or seven war season. That's totally within the realm of possibility. So that's good. And there's some wonkiness too, because... Um, there, there are a couple of guys here that aren't going to play for the Brewers um, <laughs> for various reasons who are ranked very, very high. Um, the sixth, no, the fifth and sixth um, projected war producers for the Brewers this year by Pakota are Cooper Hummel, who we last saw in double A and plays a variety of positions. Not great. Most people listening to this probably don't have an idea who Cooper Hummel is. Because I right? didn't and had to look up who he was. <laughs> And and David Fritas, who is not currently playing for the team, I think. <laughs> uh, he, he signed a contract in Korea, so okay. that tells you something. So yeah. both of those guys have spent time at catcher, and I think that there's some Pakota weirdness with mm-hmm. with uh, minor league guys who had decent offensive seasons and played catcher. Um, that's my guess is that's the case because um, with all the framing work they've done and um, baseball perspectives' understanding of catcher value, if you are showing any kind of offense at all and and are a catcher you're probably getting ranked pretty highly so you can you can i think just ignore those two (laughs) well you can definitely ignore them they won't be on the big league roster Uh, maybe cooper hummel will at some point because they shuffle guys in and out who knows probably not though he's not a guy that's well regarded but and he's not on the 40 man 
and he's not on the 40 man. So it would take all, all kinds of disasters. But other than that, everything looks pretty reasonable on the hitting side. Like Keston here is a, a one war. That sounds about right for Keston at first base, I would say. RC is right about like the, all the guys who are like one war are about right. Um, you can see Garcia outperforming 1.3. That's all fine. So those are the only really weird ones. I do think Manny Pena will be better than half of war just on his framing alone, but that's just me. And Omar Narvaez, they don't like, which given that they like all the other minor league catchers better is a little bit strange, but maybe not great for Omar. Um, hopefully he turns it around. But the pitching, man, oh, the pitching side is just phenomenal. Think about who like the best pitchers in Brewer history are. What do we got? Like uh, Ben Sheets, CC for a season, CC. Teddy Higuera. Yeah. And then a bunch of guys on the 82 team who let's just ignore because that was uh, like 35, 40 years ago at this point. How long is 82 now? 40, 39? Long ass time ago. Um, yeah. Like if, if Woodruff and Burns both do this, they'll like crack top five instantly. Wood, Woodruff in particular has a 3.9 war projection. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's his median. That <laughs> 292 um, ERA projection. Yes. 329 like, FIP. Like if that's this happens, he'll be a Cy Young, young material. And yeah. when you think about Brendan Woodruff as a legit Cy Young contender, Corbin Burns was a Cy Young contender last last season. That happened. Um, and you have the relievers too. Like Josh Hader, if as long as he doesn't decline substantially, should still be super awesome. And Devin Williams, um, honestly, could have and probably should have gotten Cy Young votes last year too, since he had the most dominant dominance pitching performance in history of baseball. But the pitching here is really good. There's uh, let's see, you got nine guys pit, picked above one war. Yeah. That's really, really good. So um, that should carry the team should be a lot of defense. If offense comes around at all, that's how you get this projection. And um, given how bad everybody was last year, they, they're likely to predict the bounce back. And that's what happened. So yeah. Going back to the what, offense for a second, Paul. Yeah. If you look at what they have projected for DRC plus, so basically, as we were saying before, this is a measure of offense where 100 is average. Yes. If you look at what their their team is projected to be this year, and these are the 50 percent projections, they have Yelich at 135, Wong at 106, Kane at 101, Vogelbach at 118, uh, Hira then at 101. So your first baseman 106, 10, or sorry, 118 and 101 depending on how they end up doing that. They have Urias actually at 103, so above average. They have Avi at 102, so actually above average. Jerko at 100, which, you know, projecting him to actually be back is... <laughs> it's speculative, right. but, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. Robertson at 100, too. Look at that. Robertson at 100, and then Narvaez. Narvaez is 99. And then Arcia at, like, 91. Basically, what you have is a lineup that doesn't really have weak spots is what they're projecting, which is strange. And I guess not what we think of, but they're basically projecting to be a good lineup top to bottom with one really great player in it, which can get you a long ways in MLB like that can yeah. that can do a lot for you. If you don't have weak spots in the lineup and you have one really good hitter in Christian Yelich, that can go a long ways. So. That, I think, is part of this, too, is they're looking at the offense as being kind of a balanced group with one big piece that makes it good and make it go. So yep. we'll see if it plays out that way, but it is interesting to see. Yep. And it was actually somewhat the way they projected last year, too, though then everybody was terrible. I was going to say, that, that's the one thing that gives me <laughs> pause with all of this, right, is we had a lot of the same thoughts when we did this episode a year ago, right, talking mm -hmm. about, wow, this we lineup did. looks great, solid, top to bottom, and uh, 
it wasn't. What did they end up doing? Yeah, it was exactly. very, very bad. And uh, yeah, right. I have all the same. And part of that is too. Yeah, part of that's a two-month sample size, right? Like we can't. I, I personally am just kind of throwing all the 2020 stats out the window. It, it's just too hard to tell what's real and what's not. But... It was just so painful to watch. Uh, on the pitching side, by the way, did you notice who has the best projected ERA on the team? I'll, gi- I'll give you five I, seconds I because otherwise it's very boring to do a podcast where you have five was seconds. It, there. it was Suter, right? It's no. Suter. Yeah, mm. they love Suter. Pakoda loves Suter. Always kind of has loved Suter. So he's projected as the third most valuable pitcher on the team and a 277 ERA, which Whew. seems maybe maybe not. But uh, who, that's got to be mostly a relief, right? I didn't see the innings total, but do they project I, him as a reliever or kind of like a swing? I I, I I don't actually know. I think it has to yeah. be kind of the swing fifth starter. But yeah, let's see where's yeah. Innings. They have him under hundred innings. They have him at ninety. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay. So really, yeah, pitcher. yeah. But man, yeah, the the pitching overall. You know, they've got Freddie Peralta, fourth highest on the team, one point eight at warp. Like that, we would take that. Adrian Hauser at one point seven, Josh Lindblom one point five. That's not bad for your four and five, right? So not I mean, bad at all. I mean, I think that that kind of gets to the underlying reason why maybe overall they have the Brewers so high in the standings is because they've got the depth. You know, the Cardinals don't necessarily have that pitching depth. The Cubs definitely don't after the offseason that they've had. Right. So uh, it's definitely a leg up. Looking at the sheet, James, it's crazy. If you look at the the top uh, would be 17 players on this sheet and look at DRA minus where it's the opposite of of the plus ones where anything under right. 100 is above average. <laughs> they have one player of the top 17 Brewers pitchers that they list on here. They have one player listed as 100 or above, and that's, that's Brett true. Anderson, who's not on the team. So Dang. they haven't resigned him, at least not yet. Literally yep. everybody else here is significantly below. You have Woodruff yeah. at 70, Burns at 84, <laughs> Suter at 69, Pearl at 79. I mean, after that, you've got to go down to like 19 to Eric Lauer to find your next 100 plus, which is right. crazy to me. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, we don't even know if Eric Lauer is going to be pitching in the majors this year, right? Well, I think he's going to see time. Yeah, but he, he's not going to be depended on is, is kind of my line of thinking, right? And that just kind of shows just the level of depth the Brewers have here, which again is very weird for somebody who (laughs) during my entire adult life, the Brewers have had crap pitching and suddenly it's like whoever they throw out there is, is a gem. So shouts to judge on this because he did point out on Twitter in a thread. I wasn't in somehow. I don't know how I was in it, but I was in it and he said, Oh yeah, they're (laughs) relying on pitching, which we've always known is very reliable and never a problem for people. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, yeah, it's true. Fair point. Fair Relying point. on pitching is, though, I would rather rely on this sort of pitching where you have 20 guys who are projected to right. be average to above average in terms of preventing runs, as opposed yep. to, you know, hoping that your three or four really good starters stay healthy and yep. your two or three good relievers stay healthy, because that right. generally doesn't happen. So depth is better. I wanted to point out a couple of fun comps, especially that Christian Yelich, uh, his number two comp is now Greg Vaughn, which <laughs> make, of that, make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> Keston here is number one comp is Mark Reynolds, which actually, actually seems I see ab- that. <laughs> about right in a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, no. In, 
including the Mark Reynolds is blind post, which if you've never read it, you definitely should. Um, <laughs> that's that's pretty on the nose. I like that one. Nice job, Pakoda, making a joke uh, about Keston Hira. Um, <laughs> th- that's excellent. Uh, Ray Durham is Colton Wong's number one, which also seems about right. Very nice job this year by by Pakoda, uh, kind of across the board on on the comps. Um, so th- those are all those are all good. I thought there was one more a- good one. Glenn Allen Hill for Avi? Huh. Yep. Jeff Kent. Who's Jeff Kent Jeff for Jed Jerko. Jed Jerko. Yes. yes. And Neil Walker. That's great. Which is, uh, th- I think, sign speed, him up now if he's going to be Jeff Kent. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Because Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent, a slow person. Neil Walker, also a slow person. There you go. With power. Oh, man. Yeah. Good times. I, I didn't love look at those. That There's a lot of good ones oh, there. Oh, comps are so fun. Oh, I was man. trying to just pick out the brewers when they exist because there's often a couple of them there. We got two. Right I know Dave top. with Zips always you know, has. Uh, you know, Brent, but, Brandon yeah. Woodruff's third comp, also a, a former brewer. Um, Zach Davies, for some reason, Ooh. they don't seem they don't seem to like it all. Yeah, uh, Brian no. just made a Brian made a face at that one. I agree with the face. They're not they're not similar in any way, <laughs> <laughs> like in any physical stuff wise. Nope, none of it's pitch. No, yeah. none of it. And, comps. Uh, yeah, uh, Brett Anderson not on the team, but he has a a Ulysses Chassin. Um, actually, his is fascinating. It's Homer Bailey, Ulysses Chassin, and Trevor Cahill, which that, huh. that is a class of pitcher. I agree with that. <laughs> Freddie Peralta, Phil Hughes, look at that. Yeah, he would be useful to bring back. Brett Anderson as a guy. I, I think that we're going to see them because we know that they were sniffing around Rich Hill, and I don't believe yep. he's signed anywhere yet. I think they're going to bring in some pitching depth to kind of shore up the back end here, but. I, I know that the general skepticism, if you listen to other podcasts of a more national flavor, people look at the Brewers yep. and they go, well, that pitching staff is pretty good, but the back end of the rotation is kind of weak after you get past the, the, the front end guys. And we know as having watched the team that this is how they roll. This is what they do, that the back end guys end up being better than you think just because they limit the amount that they're pitching and they're willing to shuffle through a bunch of different guys. Yep. Right. But, you know, they could probably use a little bit more depth in the back end, and that would be helpful to them. Yep. The, the last one I wanted to just do is Drew Rasmussen has Carter Caps on his, which um, I, <laughs> I think Picota should eliminate Carter Caps from being comped to anybody since he, he did the thing where he slid off the mound for five feet and then threw the ball. Oh, the hop step. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just cheating. So maybe it's projecting him as a cheater. I don't know. Um, but Hope yeah, f- fun with comps. I love comps. They're great. They're for entertainment purposes only. Sometimes shed some light, but uh, always yeah, fun. Yeah, it's much more for entertainment purposes only. Yes. <laughs> Though the number oh, one no. comp on, on Drew Rasmussen is Alex Reyes. So yep. a guy who really, really throws hard. Uh, Edwin Diaz for Hater. That, yeah, that checks out. So before we move off of Dakota, could I could I quickly, quickly talk about a related football topic? Yes. Go for it. All right. So, so Pakoda's named after Bill Pakoda, a player who played a long time ago, not really of note at all. And they just turned it into an acronym. Many years after the fact, um, Football Outsiders, which was briefly affiliated with Prospectus, made, made their own projection system for football. It's called Kubiak. And it was made at a time <laughs> when, when Gary Kubiak had just been a backup for John Elway, wasn't anything of note. And then he started coaching. And I think that Aaron Schatz and Football Outsiders have probably been waiting for Gary Kubiak to go away for a long time so that this isn't weird all, every <laughs> single year, which it is. Um, and he, Gary Kubiak just retired. He was the Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. However, his replacement is actually Clint Kubiak, 
Gary Kubiak's <laughs> oh, son. Yeah. And so their discussion, such... by the way, on reporting as eligible about the nepotism in football was highly entertaining and deeply depressing at the same time. I was howling. It gets even more fun <laughs> than that because the new 49ers uh, defensive quality control coach is Clay Kubiak. So even if Clint Kubiak does not work out, there's another one lingering uh, in Shani's system who will probably also be around for another 50 years. So Clint and Clay. It's going to all be Kubiaks. All, by the way, both Clint and Clay Kubiak start with a K. Um, <laughs> oh, just, come on. Yep. Oh, no. So. Oh, no. Just so you guys know. And yeah, uh, if you uh, if you want a fun d- discussion on the nepotism of the NFL, listen to The Last Reporting is Eligible, where we talk about the Kubiaks, among other things. I mean, baseball has its own nepotism. Yeah. Just look at Billy Ripken. Good old fuckface. <laughs> Being There's having, the explicit label. Well, yeah. But him having a career at all, you know, basically coattailing his older brother and his dad and who his were dad, both yeah. much more important than he was to the whole thing. And he still is on MLB network for some God forsaken reason. I can't fathom. Yeah, it Definitely does. plenty of nepotism. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, here's another question that I'll make Ryan swear. Apparently I don't understand the reference because I don't follow soccer, but PJ Wessels, uh, Ryan seemed to imply was uh, deliberately it, poking Ryan. So, okay. PJ's question via Patreon says the Brewers may be projected to win the central, but it would probably take a Liverpool like drop off to keep the Dodgers out of the world series. Who would most likely be playing the role of Allison and could Bauer be their Tiago? So I'm just going to say, this is Ryan. a very strained thing. He, he's making here a very strained comparison <laughs> that's being made. So <laughs> Liverpool is coming off of like a, a two and a half ish year run where they were like the best team in the world and really, really good. And just, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, no, the, the whole thing here is the Dodgers, <laughs> the Dodgers are very, very good. And the difference here is that in soccer, the championship is determined by, for the most part, in the league anyway, it's determined by 38 games. There's no playoffs or anything. So for a team to fall off, it's not, it's much harder to, to, to do that. Whereas in baseball, you just have to beat a team in a five or seven game series. Yep. That's and we've seen that. What we've seen that to. series be close before and it can be close again. So there's a, there's no safety in baseball because the playoffs exist. Exactly. I mean, we, we saw this against the Dodgers, who were clearly the better team against the Brewers in 2018, yep. and the Brewers very nearly took them out. If it wasn't for you know a couple of key plays and a couple of key moments, the Brewers would have been in that World Series instead of the Dodgers. So, yeah, it's just the way yeah. baseball works, and it's very different it than some of the other sports. By the way, uh, wasn't it Walker Buehler starting Game 7 that year? Yes, it was. I don't know. I was at game ah, six ah, 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 ah. watching. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched game six, game seven. I was actually at a concert. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. A reminder, you can help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers off season. Once things start to happen, uh, reminder, <laughs> Paul, uh, you're also giving more stuff away, right? You want to plug, shir- plug the yeah. contest. I have two shirts and a hoodie. If you're a $5 subscriber by March 1st, um, I will do a random raffle for the, for the ball and glove patrons and above and send my, uh, my reporting as eligible swag to you. So, 
Uh, we'll do the same thing before since I have two different kinds. Uh, well, I'll do them in order. If you're number one, you get to pick hoodie, t-shirt, other t-shirt, and we'll go from there. So please sign yes. up. Yes. And, and from the Reporting as Eligible podcast, I hear they're very uh, comfortable and great sweatshirts. So. so the the t-shirts are, are good. They're good t-shirts. Um, uh, but the hoodies, man. The hoodies are really good. Like I, I want more of them. They're really, really nice. So um, if you want one, you can buy one at AppletonCoffeeCompany.com. I think that's the website. I should actually check that out. What? Just Google Appleton Coffee Company and then go to the men's apparel section. You'll find it. sticks out. Um, but yeah, they're really nice. So please, thank you for supporting us and look forward to giving you guys some stuff. And I do want to give people a heads up coming up here that on the Minor League Podcast this week, we are going to be having Ben Badler on. James and I will be recording that Ooh, on that's Wednesday right. night. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to be talking all about, because Ben's specialty is in Latin America. So we're going to be talking about all of these young players that we've barely seen or maybe not seen play at all for the Brewers coming out of, especially Venezuela. So I'm going to be posting for questions for that on Monday. So make sure that you get your questions in for that. And if you are not a Patreon member, now seems like a good time to start because that is going to be excellent. And you can get the whole archive. Once you're a member, you get the whole yep, archive. You can. So yep. all 36 previous episodes of the Minor League Extra will be yours. Pretty good deal and definitely an incentive to sign up. Uh, you also get that question priority. And we've got a Patreon question from Adam Post. He's asking, the rebranding of Fox Sports Wisconsin to Bally Sports Wisconsin will certainly take some getting used to. What effects do you think this change will have on Brewer's telecasts? So I guess he's mostly probably talking more like the cosmetic changes, right? I don't think that they would, you know, replace Brian Anderson or Sophia or any of that because they're all, I believe, technically employees of the team. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I don't know for that sure. That is how that works. Yep. They're employees yeah, of the team. So. So, like, they're not going to be switching up the lineup, probably. The most changes you're going to see are probably cosmetic, right? Uh, different score bugs and uh, weird, I don't even know. Apparently, Bally is, like, what, like, gambling or something, which makes it a really weird partnership for a sports league to have. Well, but that's where we're headed. That's the way yeah. thing this is going, is we're going to have more and more of that, and there's going to be more and more integration and live gambling uh information on telecast of sports yep. because it's a tremendous way to monetize and we all know that the the thing that these teams need the most is to monetize their value like they they don't make enough money so they need to get more and more money <laughs> no matter what the, the cost is in terms of integrity or whatever to what they're doing they just have to get more money all right and i think yep. we we've, we've seen that over the years too right like i think you know, DraftKings sponsors certain things on the broadcast or what one of the FanDuel or whatever, you know, one of those sites does that. So. Mm -hmm. And there was yeah, a time but... when all of a sudden, like all of everything that was on ESPN for some reason was like DraftKings or whatever. One of the daily fantasy FanDuel, FanDuel, one of them. Yeah. yeah, it was like everything was was by them. And I went, whoa, your entire programming has now turned into this. So yep. and then it, it did. They did tone that down pretty quickly. But yeah. And this is the way it's headed because legalized sports gambling is coming. It's it's happening all over the country at a rate that we've never seen before. So it's coming. You, this is one of those things that in the rest of the world is just normal. And uh, one of the big changes just of society, life in general, is you, everybody is more exposed to the rest of the world. Like we have the Internet. Um, we, we have more <laughs> 
readily available travel before COVID anyway. And when you're American business people and you own sports teams and you talk to British sports people who are, or the people who own British sports teams, um, not British people, and there's all this gambling associated with it. And you're like, hey, what the heck? This, is, this isn't fair. Let's start moving on this. And now that's happening. So um, it is a fact of life everywhere else, and it will be here soon, too. Yeah, I should point out when I went to a Liverpool game in 2019, in April of 2019, uh, the I went to a window and made like 40 pounds worth of bets and yep. actually won and would have gotten a bunch of money, except that I didn't realize that you had to come back the next game to collect. Ooh, uh, so that's I, have, how I get you. Yeah, I have a receipt for like 45 pounds worth of bets that I can't do anything <laughs> with. So, yeah, but. Yeah, it, it's something that is so normalized over there compared to what we were sort of raised on here. I, I know that from watching the Jimmy the Greek episode of uh, 30 for 30, where they talked about how it was revolutionary to have him even talking about like the score, final score of games, because obviously gamblers wanted to know those things for multiple reasons, <laughs> <laughs> and that the 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 thing they didn't want like Tagliabue did not want was on their broadcast to be giving out point spreads or whatever because mm -hmm. he thought it would you know it it would smack of you know the underworld and all of that and whatever and they didn't want that they wanted their product to be above that which in and of itself is ridiculous but yeah it's it's coming and you might as well get used to it uh, there is one thing I'll say about the, uh, I guess, potential Valley Sports Wisconsin thing is that the Brewers, I guess, reportedly still don't have a TV contract for this next season, um, <laughs> which, is which seems problem. wild. Yeah, uh, slight problem when we're in mid-February. Last month, I guess, was the last update. And, you know, these updates are kind of few and far between. But last month, Ken Rosenthal was saying the Brewers and the Marlins were the only team still without a TV deal for 2021. Uh, so I guess maybe there's a distinct possibility that this doesn't happen i mean i i have to imagine like even if it's a short-term deal they'll get something done but, but i think the issue right now is that uh, a lot of people in wisconsin just can't get fox sports wisconsin at all <laughs> uh it, it's off basically every satellite provider it's off every streaming service i think the only place you can get it now is cable. I know I had to like, I switched from like YouTube TV when they dropped Fox Sports Wisconsin to get Spectrum streaming. And yep. now I have it. But uh, I mean, that's pretty true. There's only, there's only two yeah. ways you can get it, which is subscribe to Spectrum or have your parents subscribe to, to Spectrum. <laughs> well, <laughs> having the dish, right? Or is the dish out now as well? No, uh, they're off Dish Network. They're off DirecTV right now. And they have been for more than a year. Uh, yikes. Sinclair is uh, doing some things. We'll just leave it at that. My understanding yeah, is so I, money, you have to actually sell your product, but maybe I'm old. Yeah, would seem to be a solid business strategy. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I do think eventually they'll get something done. I just fear that I think the Brewers probably missed the boat on the, you know, the big money TV contract bonanza. You know, yeah, you yeah. had like Rosenthal was talking like the Angels signing a billion dollar deal that got them, you know, CJ Wilson and all the pools. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's just hard to see the Brewers That's get that kind of deal. It's likely to be a bridge contract and it's likely to be um, that the person bidding is going to want to get more than a year out of it. But this is bad timing for sure. Uh, COVID is going to have a huge impact on any contract negotiated right now. 
um, and you're going to get good deals. So um, it's, I would say, more possible than usual that they don't get a deal done just for that reason. But money, they, I mean, they still got to make money this year, so they'll probably be able to negotiate something, even with, even with, if it is internet only or some fly-by-night kind of thing for a season to get them over to better financial times. Yeah, well, to make people feel a little bit better about this, in the last year, we do know that TBS re-upped with MLB and paid a record amount for their contract, which isn't even like Fox has the mm-hmm. the, the top end contract for MLB National. TBS has the, the subcontract for it, and they paid way more than they had before, and that was in the midst of COVID. And I know that MLB has negotiated a huge deal for a round of the playoffs that doesn't even exist yet. For (laughs) that is such a I love that detail so much. Yeah. So yeah, and shouts to Craig Goldstein who brings that up all the time on his podcast. Like that is that is exactly what happened there. They have sold the rights to ESPN to broadcast the way that we saw this last year, where ESPN had all of those wildcard round games, you know, those three game series. And they sold the rights to that to ESPN to basically have like a week of just like MLB dominating their their network platform and all yeah. their different outlets. It was like March Madness for baseball. It was great. Yeah, yeah it was. And <laughs> and they definitely have a way to monetize that and make that a big deal. And we're looking at that being a very good contract too, though we don't I don't think we know exactly what the deal is on that, but it was supposedly a very lucrative contract, and that's why MLB is so eager to expand the playoffs because yep. they have all this money waiting to be made there if they can get their, you know, the, the players union on board. So the thing with all of this is that the Brewers' timing was impeccably awful by making their last <laughs> TV deal a 10-year deal right before the bubble exploded. Like, right uh-huh. before the TV deals. I think the one that stands out in my mind was when the Padres started pulling in, like, 75 or $80 million a year or something and going, oh, that's, like, way, way, way more than what the Brewers do. And they're not like they're a bigger market than Milwaukee, but they're not like remarkably bigger and they're hemmed in by both Los Angeles markets. Mm-hmm. So you just look at it and go, yeah, the Brewers really missed the boat on this. And that's because yep. their last TV deal was just made at the wrong time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And they've got bad timing now. So (laughs) like Paul said, I I guess the best the best bet is uh, hope for a short term deal and we'll just all get used to the Bally Sports Sinclair branding uh, as as bad as that looks. Can't wait to pull up my Uh, phone and bet whether or not the next pitch is a ball or a strike. (laughs) Ooh, That'd be more interactive, at least. Anyway, uh, back to baseball. Uh, Our friend Jay Google with his uh, customary Patreon question, asking about another Wisconsin native coming home. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman (laughs) signed the uh, minor league contract with the Brewers this past week. Auburn Dale native, UW-Stevens Point grad. So Jay is asking, with Jordan Zimmerman signing a minor league deal, have we reached our max on Stevens Point pitchers (laughs) on our roster? I believe JP Fireisen, also a pointer. Is that correct? The general area, yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, Jay's asking, this is just a dart throw spring training signing, correct? I guess, uh, Ryan, you want to take this one? Yes, that's exactly what this is. It is a guy that they're hoping to see some sort of sign of life from, but I wouldn't expect there to be much of any. He's a guy that got ridden hard, put away wet, 
early on in his career and you know now has the the scars to prove it yeah if he could bounce back super great but the the physicals are gonna be a tough there i think this is one where you know there's a guy out there he wants another shot he's a hometown you know the state guy and you know you're more than happy to do that and get him in you can write stories about him you can sell stuff maybe learn something from him maybe he wants a coaching career later who knows but yeah he's not gonna probably pitch games for the brewers that would be if he and he, by the way if he can that means something super cool happened so um, always fun to root for too <laughs> or but super he, horrifying yeah also true <laughs> I, I would prefer to take the the positive there. And <laughs> Let's go with the, the positive. Lab, the, the pitching lab got him a few extra ticks on his fastball for yes, one in, last run. Instead of a bus fell on half the staff, which is the sort of other way that this happened. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last Patreon question. This one comes from Darren Jones. He's asking, are you surprised at the lack of trades involving the Brewers this offseason? The only offseason trade they made was involving Corey Knable, which reportedly came together in 10 minutes leading up to the non-tender deadline. Yep. So, Paul, I know you wanted to take this one. Where are your thoughts? Sure. Uh, I'm never surprised by a lack of trades because I'm always surprised by trades. I um, <laughs> I love trades. It just, it's, it's a lot of work. A lot has to go right for them to happen. And... Uh, they're really rare. Like they really are. It's much more likely to sign, have a big signing in free agency or something like that. Um, especially in baseball where you can't trade draft picks with the except. I know don't, don't say the exception in the comments. I don't care. I know what the exception is, but you can't, <laughs> you can't trade draft picks. You have to trade players for players. You have to get prospects lined up. It, um, it, uh, it's just, I'm surprised there, whenever there's, so I'm not surprised that there have been no trades, especially because the Brewers farm system is pretty weak at the moment. There's not a lot of, um, you know, close guys. There's not a lot of depth to trade from on that. You'd be doing the sort of brewery thing of maybe sending some older guys for some um, younger major league ready guys, which happens sometimes, but is more rare. And after last, here's the other thing, after the shortened season, after um, information was restricted on, all of the minor league players, there's just not a lot of information out there to make these decisions anyway. So uh, honestly, any trade that happens right now, and there have been some, but they're, they're miracles. They are, they're miracles of <laughs> opposing scouting and information sharing deals and things like that. Um, it, it will be back to normal soon. Normal minor league play and scouting and all that jazz will resume shortly. But if there's ever going to be a season where there's no trades, this is, this is the one. Oh, yeah, 100% what Paul just said. That last point is the biggest thing. It's driving a lot of teams are just skeptical of trading for guys that they don't have any recent information on. So unless it's mm -hmm. a minor or it's a major leaguer, a guy who saw time in the big leagues last year, it's hard just to have much faith in it. And so you're seeing very few things, though. Did you enjoy that weird three-team trade between the Mets, Royals, and uh, I was going to say, speaking of miracles, right? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> what a, Pulling off a three-team trade in this uh, environment is, is bizarre, right? A three-team trade without Billy Bean. That's, in and of <laughs> itself, just remarkable. By the way, did you, have you been following uh, Kevin Goldstein on some of those things? If you... I did see his tweet on uh, how those things kind of develop. Yeah, yeah, and it was very much like the the Moneyball account, like most Moneyball accounts, is not really true at all. It it is really more <laughs> of a you need the third team to get the deal done. Not uh, nobody's that stupid, and they weren't when Moneyball was going on either. So, um, it, yeah, it's, nobody, it's still, nobody's flying. What did yeah. they say? Nobody's flying to Cleveland to work out the trade <laughs> in or whatever still, it was. Like, all that all that said, like if you are the third team in a three team trade. 
I'm 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 shocked that they ever happened because you're clearly a in a, a position of very high leverage. They, they both teams needed you for something, and also very likely to be taken advantage of because both teams right. needed you for something. So well, like, who is the third team in that trade though? That's what I'm wondering. That's, good, that's actually it, a good point. It's the Mets, hmm. probably, right? The deal is if, between the Red Sox and the Royals, primarily. Yeah, and attending to Royals is the thing. Yeah, and people yeah. mostly think the Mets were the ones who did the best with this, is they didn't give up that much that we don't know the entire extent of what they gave up yet. So mm-hmm. that's still out there. But they got uh, a player that is considered to be a pretty good prospect in Lee, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are really optimistic about what he could potentially be, though maybe some of that gets inflated because a lot of that value is stolen bases, which are devalued in baseball, but very highly valued in Dynasty Leagues. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's a big deal Gambling. in Dynasty. There you so, go. Yeah. 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 It, man, speaking of that trade, too, uh, I said this on Twitter, but like that core of uh, Mookie Betts, Ben Attendee, and Jackie Bradley Jr., the fact that they only won like one World Series title, it's got to be disappointing for Boston, too. Like to the Cubs level, right? Like, I mean, sure, you got one, but you figure like that was a multi year dynasty, right? I mean, that's a core with the only player who can maybe be considered better than Trout. So, yeah, I think that's very pretty disappointing when you put have the resources, those guys in place, and you only get one. That's pretty bad. Yeah, but yeah. they still have Bogarts and Devers and Sale and yeah, have, but they're they not going to be great this year. It's, not I mean, this year, but competing for World Series for a year or two at for least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty three, I think we'll see them be very competitive again. It could even happen sooner than that, depending on how they get their payroll situation straightened. I feel like that whole division. Well, that's not true. I feel like the top part of that division is just rotating luxury tax avoidance and tr- <laughs> and, and window trading. It's like true. that's what it's, it's that's true. what it's become. It's it, yes, there's the Rays there to be the super genius team that puts pressure on them, but the other two, it is just like. All right, our turn to recover from luxury tax. You go compete now. All right, now it's our turn. You go compete now. Yeah. So now well, it's the Jays. I was going to say the, the Jays yeah. are now ascending into that window and saying, "Hey, we're going to be real players." And I think they have a claim to it too. Like they have some yeah. serious talent on that team. But in three years, once uh, Vladdy Junior and all those start getting exp- <laughs> expensive, they'll trade everyone away, and then the Rays will slip in for their division title when everybody's yep. avoiding the luxury tax, like Paul said. And history repeats itself. I will say this too. I I mentioned this on um on Twitter, or at least to you guys. Like everybody hates the Yankees, but the Dodgers are literally what the Yankees are thought to be. Right? Like the Dodgers have become the Yankees. Yeah, totally. Yes. The, the Yankees have been pretty like mild mannered for their standards over the last 10 years or so. Right. Like they actually yeah. built a decent core on their own too. Uh, financial uh, management but, is a big part of the Yankees now. And yes, they do run up it. They run up to the luxury tax, but that's kind of where they stop. And when they go over it, they do recovery methods for a couple of years too. The Dodgers are the big spenders now. And that, I mean, as it should be, they are the second biggest market in, um, right. You know, as, for, for all practical purposes, as big and financially rich and whatnot as New York is. So that's, and only one team, Angels, go screw off. You're not Los Angeles. So um. <laughs> go to hell, Orange, Orange County. County. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the OC. Uh, yeah. And if anything, that's another reason for Cubs fans to be upset because they should be spending at that level and they are not because Ricketts. 
hey, but they're getting a lot of really, really great real estate deals in Wrigleyville, and they're yeah, going to yeah. own that entire <laughs> damn neighborhood. It's historic too. It's yeah, a shame. they'll pull it back. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really a shame. I it's feel shame. I feel really bad for Cubs hate fans about that. Hate to see it. Yeah, you do hate to see it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we also put out a call for questions on Twitter. Our Twitter account's at MKE Tailgate. Give that a follow. Uh, you can also tweet your questions to us directly. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. We did get a Twitter question this week from Mark Pudscarby. Uh, he's asking a question. We kind of covered this last week. Who do you think is the likely fourth outfielder? I think we all kind of settled on Tyrone Taylor last week. Is that right? Or that, somebody so, not on the roster. Yeah, I think I think choice A was not on the roster and choice B was ah. Tyrone Taylor. Um, t- Tyrone Taylor, um, you know, a, a prototypical fourth outfielder can play center field competently. Um, not great, but can do some damage with the bat. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when he was the system's number one prospect. So, oh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and once once attended a minor league game with Tyrone Taylor and Dan Vogelbach, I think in it together. So playing against each other, not on the same team. Kane County History. Cougars. Kane County Cougars game. Yep. Um, nice. And, and uh, Dan Vogelbach, by the way, I, it, it, this was many many years ago, but uh, Dan Vogelbach was clearly the best player on the field at, at that game for sure, and just raked <laughs> two doubles off of oh shoot, Jorge Lopez, uh, a, a a decent Brewer prospect pitcher. Jorge Lopez was, would time wise make sense. Jorge that. Lopez, it was yeah. then, yes. Yeah, that would make sense. All right. Well, Mark does have a second question, though, uh, kind of related to the Colton Wong signing. He says, do you think Yelich stays in the two hole this year, even with Wong likely leading off? Now, that scenario presents like a lot of questions. Yep. Obviously, you don't want Wong and Yelich kind of hitting back to back. They're both lefties. Generally try to avoid that. But, Paul, I know you were talking uh also leads to some interesting questions about, yeah. you know, the theories about number two hitters versus number three hitters. Ryan had a spirit. Ryan and I had a spirited discussion before the pod started on this. And I actually have a, a I have a new bullet point to, to shoot at this one. So um, <laughs> I think they'll leave him. And here's why. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the big thing we had we talked about is the number two hitter is supposed to be your best hitter. Um, m- most most philosophies on batting order agree on this, even though order really doesn't matter that much. That's the case. And you don't want two lefties together. But it's worth remembering how Yelich hit last year and how he hits generally, which is generally he doesn't actually have much of, of a platoon split at all. If that's you want to bring true. in a lefty to get him out, that's often not going to work. And if his most recent season, the stupid 2020 season, um, should be given a little more weight, he hit lefties way better than righties. So um, in, in more recent times, he's actually doing better against them and stacking them up is probably not that bad of an idea. So they might they might still split them up. There's value there, um, but I'll, I'll just come out and say that they'll go with the uh, the standard sabermetric practice and actually do it and have Wong have Wong and Yelly go one two and have Kane go three. Yeah, and actually I'm I'm checking it right now, but I believe from something I heard this week that Colton Wong is actually not a huge platoon split guy himself. Oh, I'm double checking oh. it right now. Right. So <laughs> I'm, if if that's the case, and I'm I'm waiting for the no, computer I'm to pretty load sure up. he's terrible against lefties. I'm pretty sure I looked that up when I signed him, but I could be wrong. The race to Google. Yeah. So his career <laughs> split: seven thirty six OPS against right-handers, six fifty two against left-handers. So not a massive split, but there's yeah. a, a bit of a split there. 
it's interesting because yeah, the the reason you wouldn't want to necessarily have two together would not be because you were trying to protect Yelich, but because you're trying to protect Wong from the lefties. Hmm. Because That's they fine. they would they would do that. But I think it's an open question as to you. Which one? Which one? Yelich provides better protection for. <laughs> yeah. So the question here too is, uh, well, looking at uh, at roster resource, which is an incredibly valuable tool on Fangraphs now, uh, they have Wong at least against right-handed pitchers. They have Wong leading off, Kane hitting second, and Yelich hitting third, which I think is fine i don't really have a problem with that i don't think it's a major issue i get that second is better than third for your best hitter but i also don't think it's such a monumental difference that if you have especially if lorenzo kane is giving on base the way he was a few years ago that would be tremendous to have in front of yelich having a couple guys getting on base in front of yelich would be good i have a great follow-up question all right if they re-sign Ryan Braun, does your answer change? <laughs> Bronny's got to hit third. That's if the Braun hits third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I did joke this week that uh, see you on March 10th, Ryan Braun. So I'm, I want to get on the record here as well for that, that I think Ryan Braun will sign on March 10th. But that is entirely contingent on them actually deciding to uh, have a DH in the NL, which I do think is still going to happen. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Braun moved around more over the last few years. He, he was did. yeah. Yeah, we started to see him in some different <laughs> spots. But yeah, it's it's a good question. It's an interesting one. <laughs> All right. So when we were talking before the pod, uh Paul kind of enlightened me to the fact like sabermetrically, what is the difference between hitting second and third? And why is it more uh maybe a a bigger deal than we might think it goes into a lot of different scenarios but um it's hitting second it often has a guy on base with no outs because the leadoff hitter gets on and then when the lineup flips you have that guy in front of him who's a high obp guy also um and when you're hitting third um i i i kind of forget how it actually works out but you you tend to also bat a lot with nobody on base um, for some reason, this is all based on simulation. And third actually comes in fifth in terms of importance um, on most simulations. Now, uh, as Ryan pointed out before the start, that's if you take out the first uh, run through the game, the first time through the order of the game, where the number one hitter definitively hits first, um, that goes away. So on the second and ter- third and fourth trips through the lineup, um, it, the math is different. But overall, um, your second hitter gets sort of the most at bats other than the leadoff, but also with guys on. That's probably the simplest way to put it. You get right. you, you don't lose too many at bats over the course of a season because you're hitting second and you have guys on base pretty routinely because you're hitting behind a guy who gets on base a lot, plus whoever gets on base at the end of the lineup later on. So that's kind of it. And the three hitter, um oh I know what it is. It's because uh, often the two hitter takes out every, either uh, either there's nobody on base because people made outs or there's nobody on base because the two hitter took everybody off of base. So um, there's a lot of that, too. Yeah, yeah. The, the old idea of a two hitter was and this is antiquated now, but the idea was you had some guy who was really fast who would get on base first and the job of the two hitter was to move them over or to <laughs> at least let them. I don't know, like get a bunt down, take the ball the other way, get a bunt, 
hit a ball on the right side to let them <laughs> move over. Like all of those things. That was yeah. that was the idea of what the two hitter did was to be able to put the ball in play, usually on the ground, usually making a productive out. And that was sort of what they were doing. And the reality was always that the two hitter is the most important spot in the lineup yep. because they're going to come up a lot. And if you do have somebody who gets on base in the leadoff spot, they're going to come up a lot with runners on base. That, and that's basically it. You want to have people getting on base at the top of the lineup and you want to have your power behind them. Yeah. And then everybody else after that. Like that is the basic idea of constructing a lineup. And it really hasn't changed, except there was this weird thing for the longest time where people decided we needed to put some crappy hitter in the two hole to accomplish some sort of thing. And I guess maybe yep. it made sense in the 70s and 80s when the run scoring environment sure. was way down. But that hasn't been the case in basically long, my adult lifetime. Time. Yeah, it, it has not been the case. So get over it. <laughs> we kind of said keep yelling the second spot but do you move him down into third and then kind of risk him coming up in those that's the question you know, and i'm honestly I mean, not you, sure yeah like mm -hmm. you obviously don't want christian yelich hitting with nobody on base if right? you have lorenzo kane and colton wong both doing a good job of getting on base i have zero problem with having yelich get fewer at bats and moving him down to the third hole to have a lot more runners who are getting on base the one thing that could potentially change that is if we do see the DH, then right. I would definitely want to see Yelich in the two spot because at that point, what you want to do is you want to get somebody in the nine spot who is basically a second leadoff man. Right. Whether it's Urias or whatever. What did we see most last year? I think it was Urias a lot. I, we saw a lot of Arcia in the ninth spot too, didn't we? Just because he could, he was hitting well, decently well. Yeah, that well sounds right. Least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just an interesting thought. And, you know, like Paul said, Lineup construction, largely overrated, but it's fun to think the Brewers now have enough good hitters at the top of the lineup where you have those debates again, and it's not just mindless plug-and-play there, right? So, And when you say it is largely overrated, I we should point out here that even the, the studies of this that have shown the most variance, you're talking about the difference of a win or maybe two at most between your best lineup and your dumbest lineup. So <laughs> right. it it really doesn't make a lot of difference as to what you're doing in terms of lining guys up. And just the general idea of you want your better hitters towards the top, your worst hitters towards the bottom, and you want at the very top guys who get on base and behind that the power. Like, yeah, and it, it makes perfect sense. It, like, logically, you think of that and you go, yep, that makes sense. That's how you want to have it set up. So. Yeah. 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 I guess for me, I'm like weirdly more interested in who's going to hit fourth and fifth this year than I guess second and third. But I'm just weird like that. It's whoever's hitting for power, right? Yeah. I mean, we yeah. saw here or there a lot last year, but then he, you know, drove us all nuts by, you know, all the strikeouts with the men on base. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of just tough to watch, but we'll see how that plays out. I don't know. Yep. Indeed. All right. Uh, reminder, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, anywhere else you listen to the podcast. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. You know, we got some really nice uh, uh, Twitter comments when we put the 
call out for questions this last week to people saying, you know, they, they like listening to us. I believe the Miller Park Pigeon, sorry, American Family Field Pigeon yes, yeah. really enjoys the program. Make sure we get that right. Uh, sorry, that's a nickel in a jar for me. Uh, but yeah, if, if you do... If you do find the podcast and you enjoy listening to us, please do leave a review. Help us kind of jump up those rankings and help other people find the podcast as well. In the meantime, uh, we're going to call it a week. Uh, Lots of good talk here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Hope you all stay well, and we will see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate. I got a pee. <laughs> <laughs> Not as badly as I did. Um. That's that stinging. Is that what that was? I was wondering if that's what that was. It was a Lamar Jackson. Yep. <laughs> Except number one. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce. <laughs> Paul had to pee. <laughs>